0: Today I'm starting a series. I'm excited about this series. I laid the foundation for this a couple of weeks ago, uh, when I talked to you about the fast. And if those of you that have committed to doing that, today's the day, right? And I think there's some of you that have already started. Um, but today's the day, and I'm not going to talk primarily about that, but I'm going to talk a little bit about that. But today I'm going to start a series just called First. And for the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about um, based on Matthew six verse thirty-three where it says, seek God's kingdom first, and all of these things will be added unto you or given to you um, also. We're going to lay that as a foundation. And and we're going to ask this question. If that verse is true, if um, Matthew 6, verse 33 is true, and if that is a command that we are commanded to follow as a Christ follower, that we are to put God's kingdom first, that is, it's priority. That is, it comes first. That is, uh, when we choose between this or we choose between that or we have decisions, that we put God first and his kingdom first and the things of God first. If that's true, what does it look like? And to, And if we're going to believe that, how in the world, how do I put God's kingdom first? And what does it look like practically? Because right? it's easy for us to say, it's easy to read that verse. Like so many verses in so much scripture, it's so easy to read that verse and say, that's an awesome verse, and I believe that verse. And probably most of us here would say, you know, I, I agree with that verse. That we should put God's kingdom first, and when we put God's kingdom first, he's going to take care of all of the rest. And before it gets to this verse, the verses in front of it are talking about our needs. It's not talking about our wants, and it's not talking about the things sometimes that we indulge in, but it's talking about our needs. You know, clothing, shelter, uh, those types of things. And then it follows all of that up and it says, listen, if you put God first, if he's priority, all the rest is going to be taken care of. So the question I want to ask today is, how do we put God's fir- God first? How do we put God's kingdom first? What does that actually look like? Do we have to sell everything we own and go to Africa? Do we have to sell everything we own and give to the poor? Can we save for retirement? And what does it mean in our finances? What does it mean in our marriage? What does it mean in, in our church life as we interact with, with each other and other Christians? What does it look like in our marriage if we put God first? And we're going to talk about those things. And hopefully put some things that, are, that, uh, that you can use and are very practical. Um. I don't know about you guys, but I like I like this time of year. Um, I don't know if it's my personality, but I love fresh starts. I'm a good starter. I'm not always a great finisher, but I'm a good starter. And so I love starting things. And you guys some of you guys know about that. I mean it's actually a weakness of mine. I, I love to start, I'm always not I'm not always that great at finishing. So I enjoy the first of the year. I enjoy kind of reflecting on last year and kind of evaluating in a way. And, and like I said a couple of weeks ago, saying, you know, in comparison to where I was a year ago, am I at a better place? You know, is my marriage at a better place? Have I handled my finances in a way that has honored God um, is my relationship with my children and my family, is it good and is it where it needs to be and is it growing and moving in the right direction? Are my relationships with other people that God has placed in my lives, is it on the right track? Am I headed in the right direction? Not only is, do I have great intentions, but am I headed in a good direction? So I want to do again that a little bit today, but maybe in a different way and I want to ask you this question and it's in your outline. And I want you to reflect on it for just a moment. What kind of year was last year for you spiritually? Not financially, not relationally, not your stuff, not your work, not your career, not your health. But how was last year for you spiritually? 2012. What was it like? Then I have three categories there, and you can... I would challenge you to be honest about where you are and how last year was. And here's the thing. See, there's nothing more important in your life and my life as a Christ follower than to put God number one. There's nothing more important. The verse is very clear. Put God first. Not second. Not in priority when there's time, not in priority when I'm less busy, not first when this is taken care of, not first when I have this amount of money in my bank account. It just says, put God first. So, where are you at? How was last year spiritually, honestly? Here's what I know. That for some of us, we would be right there solidly in the first category. And we would have to say, if we're honest, that last year was spiritually dead, somewhat dead, apathetic. That last year was a year, if I'm honest, I was just lazy in my Christian life. That it was just kind of blah. Maybe I went to church, maybe I didn't even go to church. But last year was just, it was just, I was just lazy. I, you know, I just didn't care much. My, my intentions were probably not bad, and maybe my intention at the beginning of the year, or at certain parts of the year, were good, but my direction never followed my intention. Maybe as a man, you're married, and, and you would be honestly have to say that, you know what, last year I didn't lead my family spiritually. I just was lazy. Or I was scared to, or there was some opposition, and I quit, or whatever it might be. Part of what leads to this is just being sidetracked, right? Overly busy. And if you would look back, you would have to honestly say last year was not that great of a year for me spiritually. And then for some of us, maybe we're in that second category, we would say that it wasn't completely dead. And it wasn't just completely lazy, but I would have to be honest and say my spiritual life was very Inconsistent. That is, that I had great intentions, but I never really stuck with them. That my spiritual life was kind of on again and off again, that there wasn't consistent Bible reading, that there wasn't consistent prayer, that there wasn't consistent fellowship with other believers, that it was just a very inconsistent year. There was good days and bad days. There was days when I felt close to God and I was like, this is great. And then the next day, I was hollering at my kids and I wanted to cuss, or I did cuss. And it was just kind of back and forth, and there was just no consistency. Maybe you're here, and you actually are in the third category, and you can say last year was a really good year for me spiritually. I was spiritually consumed. That you would look back on next year and you would say, if I would be open and honest about next year, not bragging, but I would just have to say last year was really a good year. I experienced God like I had never experienced Him before. I know Him better now than I did 12 months ago. He became more real to me in 2012. He showed up. Not that life was great... Not that I didn't go through hard things. Not even that I have more money in the bank. Not even that things are perfect. I just had a good year with God. He was good. And if that's you, great. Stay there. But here's what I know is true, and you guys know this is true as well, is that we have, according to Scripture, we have a spiritual enemy that is out to kill, steal, and destroy And that last category is not where he wants any of us to be. And if you're in that category or you've been in that category, you have encountered opposition or you will encounter opposition, I promise. Because we do have an enemy. What I also know is true is that probably for most of us, if we're honest, we would have to say I'm in one of the first two categories in a lot of ways. Because that's just how it is. And that's how the church is in America, sadly. It is so easy for us to slide into one of those two categories. Maybe the second one, especially for those of us that regularly attend churches. We're here. We're involved. We have a relationship. But it's just inconsistent. You know, it's like we're good with God. And then it's just like, man, we don't pray, pray. Or we only pray when we're desperate. And we read Scripture when we really need an answer, but we don't just have this consistent, meaningful relationship with our Heavenly Father. And listen, I'm not talking about a relationship where it's easy, and I'm not talking about a relationship where it's always just awesome with your Heavenly Father. Because your relationship with God, again, is a lot like your relationship to your wife or your husband if you're married. And it takes work. It's not always easy. There's days when you're like... What is it? What's going on? Why did I even do this? Is it even worth trying to maintain a great relationship? Wouldn't it be just easier to just kind of let it be? Luke 6, verse 33 again. It says, Seek first God's kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek first. Here's what I'm going to promise you. I'll make you a promise today. And the promise is this, is if you will, the next couple things, four things that I'm going to talk about today, and this is kind of a strong statement, and I understand that, but if you will take what we're going to talk about next and apply these and commit to these things, I promise you that you will have the best year you have ever had spiritually. I promise you. Because that's what this verse is talking about. That's what this verse promises. Now listen, I did not say that if you put God first and, and commit to these things, I did not say you will have the best year physically or health-wise. I did not say that if you put God first, you will have more money in the bank at the end of the year. I did not say that. I didn't say that you'll have the easiest year of your life. I didn't say that all of your relationships were going to be great, and you wouldn't face opposition. In fact, the opposite is probably true, is if you put God first, you will experience opposition. But what I am saying is if you put God first, you will, you will have the best year ever Spiritually. At the end of 2013, you would be able to look back and say, it has been the best year spiritually I have ever had. God has been so good. I know him better than I did in January. I've experienced God like I have never experienced him before. I will promise you that if you will apply these things. So how do we put God first? And we're going to dive deeper into some of these things over the next couple of weeks. But I want to talk about four things. How How do I make God first in my life? And what does it look like? And here's what I want to say before I even go into these things. And some of you already know where I'm going. But here's what I know because I'm just like you. Is these four things are probably the four things that people push back at the most as Christians. Not, not all of them equally. But some of these we, we push back and we resist. And I just want, to, want you to know it's okay. Push back and resist. It's okay. I can handle it. Okay, I can handle it. You can push back and you can resist all you want. Here's what I would ask you to do is to just hear me out. To hear me out, you don't have to agree with me, but hear me out with an open mind and then make a commitment in your own heart that you're going to say, God, I'm not sure I believe him, but I'm going to pursue you in these verses, in these principles, and I'm going to honestly and openly with an open heart ask you what that means for me. And how I need to apply that to my own personal life. So you don't have to believe me. You don't have to buy into everything I say. But at least be open enough to follow through and seek God's face on the things that we're going to talk about. Four things. Four things on putting God first. And this is kind of first things first. First of the day. And I'm literally talking first of every day. Is seek God. Very practical not necessarily that easy. Seek God. The first of the day is seek God. And listen, I'm not being legalistic. Because as we walk through this, you're going to say, well, it sounds really legalistic. I'm not trying to be legalistic. And I'm not saying that you have to seek God the first of every day, the first thing you get out of bed. Okay? But I will say this. That there are so many examples in Scripture and there are so many examples of giants in the faith and their pattern was almost always first thing in the morning. And I think there is something powerful that, it, that, that happens when we put God literally first in the day. Now, I know some of you will say this. Well, I'm not a morning person and so I can't do it in the morning and it just doesn't work. And, and for some of you, that's true. And if that's honestly true for you, do it another time in the day. Just make sure it's a priority. If you do it a different time in the day, just make sure that the busyness of the day doesn't make it slide off your schedule. You know, because it's so easy to do that. But that can honestly be some of you. It just works better to do it in the evening, or it works better to do it in the afternoon. That's great. The rest of you, I would say this: some of you are just lazy. And you just need to get out of bed and make it first thing. Because here's what I know about you, as I do myself. If someone told you, if you get up at 5.30 every morning for six months, and you do something for 30 minutes or 20 minutes, I will write you a check for $500,000. All of a sudden, those of you that are not morning people would become morning people. Right? And you know why? It's because all of a sudden It's important. All of a sudden, it's important, okay? See God first. And listen, again, I'm not, don't, don't hear me wrong on this, okay? Just make it a priority. Make sure you spend time with God every day. Make sure that that's the thing that doesn't get pushed off the schedule. Seek Him. And you know what? It can be as simple as this. It can be very simple. It doesn't have to be an hour of prayer. It doesn't have to be an hour and a half Bible study. It can be very simple. It can be 15 minutes. It can be 20 minutes. It's simply acknowledging that God, today is your day. God, here's my hands. Here's my eyes. Here's my ears. Here's my feet. Here's my schedule. It's yours. I'm yours today. Bless my work. And if I get my work done, great. If not, I'll do yours. Listen, I know we have schedules. But you understand what I'm saying? Just acknowledge him. Thank him. Thank him for what he's doing. Spend some time in his word. Prayer doesn't have to be complicated. We overcomplicate it. Just talk to him like he's your friend. You know, you can just wake up in bed and either get out of bed and kneel or you can sit on the side of the bed or you can lay in bed and just pray to him. Five minutes. And what happens is all of a sudden... It changes the tone for the day. Look at a couple of these verses. Psalm 63, verse 1, it says, O oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. And then in Mark 135 is such a powerful verse because it's Jesus. And listen, Jesus Jesus' directions and what he asks of us is to do what he did. He wants us to follow him, be his disciples. That is, I watch what you do, and I listen to what you say, and I do what you have done, and I live the way that you have lived. I learn to love the way that you have loved. I learn to put my priorities in the same order that you had your priorities. And Jesus, many, many times in Scripture, this verse is one of them, is an example of putting God first in the day. This is very early in the morning, when it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And see, if Jesus needed to pray, and if Jesus needed to put God first, surely we do, right? Number two. Well, let me just say this about reading God's word, real very quickly. Um, And this is just really practical stuff. Um, Have a plan. Get a plan. You know the saying, it says, how does the saying go? If you fail to plan, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Is that how it goes? It's a little bit the same. It's like that with Bible reading. Have a plan. You know, either make a commitment to read the entire Bible in a year. And by the way, we have some one-year Bibles out on the table. Or say, I'm going to read the New Testament uh, twice. Or just have a plan so you know where you go instead of just randomly opening up the Bible. And you can have a plan and you can stick to it. Number two is this here is the first of the week, be committed to worship. Be committed to worship. And I'm talking about corporate worship in a local church. It's important. Make corporate worship at a church a priority for you and your family, and make it happen. Acts 20, verse 7. Acts 20, verse 7, it says, On the first day of the week we came together to break bread. And they're not talking about just a potluck. They had deep fellowship. They had Bible teaching. They had prayer. They took care of each other. They loved on each other. And they did it on a regular basis. Next verse in Hebrews 10, it says, Let us not not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. Here's what we have to understand. Whether you like it or not, and you can push back all you want, it's okay. Your spiritual life and your Christian life was never designed to be done alone. It just wasn't. Our, my, Christi- my Christian life and my following of Jesus Christ was designed and intended by God from the very beginning to be done in the context of community. And that's other people. And so the thing about that is it's not always fun. Because we're, we're weird people, Right? And we're broken people and we hurt each other and we do things that make each other mad and it's not the way we want it. And so we tend, if we're not careful, to allow those things to begin to drive us apart. And we think, well, I don't need other people. I don't have to be honest with other people. It's none of their business. And in reality, reality, God has intended the entire time for Christianity and discipleship to work best in the context of relationship with each other. And sometimes it's messy, and sometimes it's painful, and sometimes it's hurtful. And again, it's just like a marriage. You know, if, if me and Bonnie, every time we made each other mad, or every time that we hurt each other, we wouldn't have forgiven and said, you know what, it's okay, we love each other, we're committed, we would have left each other years ago. We would have left each other the first week. We would have left each other on our honeymoon for crying out loud. See, God wants us to live in the context of community and fellowship and be committed to each other. Proverbs says that, that, how does it say it? It says, uh, "As as, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And that's not always pretty. There's sparks. And there's a little bit of friction. And I'm just saying, according to Scripture... And according to what God has designed and how God has designed us to live, we ought to be committed to a body of people. We ought to be there. We ought to be be in church somewhere serving and giving and worshiping and not always just taking either. Make it a priority. Make it a priority for your family. And guys, men, husbands, fathers, you lead on this. Don't let your wife drag you and your children to church. Shame on you. You bring them to church. You get up and make sure the family's up and ready. You're the leader. You're called to it. Okay? You lead your family spiritually and make sure they're getting spiritually fed. And they're in a good Bible-believing church somewhere. It doesn't have to be Lifeline, although we love you to be here. And you guys are here, right? But it's not about us. Number three. First of the month, we ought to be committed to giving, and yeah, I'm talking about the tithe. I'm talking about the tithe. And listen, I know, I know the, I know the. Uh, some of this stuff is a little hard to preach about because there's pushback, and I understand that. I push back because these things, these things are hard. They're, 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 they make us sacrifice, and they make us give, and they, you know, they they just go against our nature. But I want to, I'm going to talk more about tithing in the next couple of weeks and this idea of giving. And again, I'm not talking about legalistic. I'm not even talking necessarily about that you have to give 10% of your income. And here's why I say that, and I'll explain this more as we, as we get into this in a couple of weeks, is the, New Te- or the Old Testament is very strong on the tithe, which is 10%. The, o- the New Testament doesn't say as much, although Jesus references it in Matthew and he says you ought to tithe and then there's other passages in the New Testament that talk about giving but the New Testament um, if you know anything about the New Testament the New Testament always raises the bar on everything in the Old Testament it was don't murder in the New Testament it wasn't do- it wasn't just don't murder it was if you if you're if you hate your brother you're guilty of murder In the Old Testament, it was don't commit adultery. In the New Testament, it said if you look at a woman and lust after her, you've committed adultery in your heart. It always raises the bar. And here's what I think that the New Testament teaches about giving. Instead of so much the New Testament telling us that we have to give a tithe, regardless of what we make, I think the New Testament teaches us that we ought to give sacrificially. And what that means to me is this. If you're a single mom and you have two kids and you're on a fixed income and you can barely make ends meet, you cannot afford to give 10%. And for you to give 1% is a big sacrifice. You understand? And then for some of us, or for some of you, for some of us, 10% doesn't even phase us. And it's, it's like, it's easy to do, and it for sure isn't really a sacrifice. And so maybe, 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 it's not so much about the letter of the law and the 10% as it is, are we sacrificing? Is it requiring us to give something up in order to give to God's work? I don't know. You can struggle with that. You can pray about it. But I do know this. Whether you want to buy into the idea of exactly 10% or whatever it is, I do know that God wants and requires us to be givers. And it is not because he needs your money. But it is because he wants you to become like him. And when you give and when I give and we help people, I don't care if it's to church, I don't care where it is, when we give, and especially when we give sacrificially, we become more like him. And that's what God is after. There's some verses here, and you guys are familiar with these verses. Leviticus 27, verse 30, it says, The tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. And then I know the pushback. Well, that's Old Testament, and everything changed in the New Testament, and yes, it did. But what you have to understand is the principle of the tithe was never a part of the Levitical law. It was introduced all the way back in Genesis long before, hundreds of years before the Levitical law. It was a principle of honoring God with what you have. Jesus addresses it in Matthew 23, verse 23. And he gets on the Pharisees about their tithing. He says, you hypocrites, you are careful to tithe even on the tiniest income from your herb gardens. In other words, he's saying you're so legalistic. You know, it's like You've got to do it right down to the exact amount. He says, You're so even or you're so careful, but you are ignoring the more important aspects of the law justice, mercy, and faith. And then he says this you should tithe. You should. Doesn't get them off, doesn't get us off the hook, doesn't let them off the hook. You should tithe, yes. But don't forget about some of the stuff that's even more important. Like loving your neighbor caring for the needy, whatever, all of this stuff, okay? Here's the thing. When I give and when you give, it's an act of worship. It's a way of saying, God, thank you for what you've given me. It's a reminder that everything that I have is his and comes from him. And when you give, it helps you remember your priorities, and it reminds you that God is first. And it keeps you focused. And, it, and it's, a, it's a, honestly, it's a guardrail against materialism when we give back to God. There's benefits for us. That's all I'm going to say. i got a whole bunch more written down, but we're going to get into more of that in the next couple of weeks. And listen, I promise you I'm not going to beat you up. It's not going to be one of those things where you're guilty. I feel strongly... I feel strongly that we need to give, but it has to be done in a way that makes sense. And it has to be done in a way that honors God. God wants you to be a giver, primarily because it makes you more like him, and it changes your heart, and it honors him. Number four. Um, And look, there's all kinds of pushback on this one too. And It's fasting. First of the year, commit to fasting. Commit to a fast. And here's a fast. Again, I know I'm going to repeat some of the stuff I talked about a couple of weeks ago. But here's what biblical fasting is. Biblical fasting is denying yourself physical food in order to spend more time with your Heavenly Father in prayer and in reading His Word. That's what it is. Biblical fasting is not cutting out TV, although that would be great. Um, it's not anything other than cutting out food. And the reason that that's biblical fasting is because that is the hardest thing to give up. It's the hardest thing to give up, I promise you. Fasting is hard. It's laborsome. And you guys know I talked about this a little bit a couple of weeks ago. The first sin in Scripture, in Genesis, involved the stomach. Esau traded his birthright, was related to his stomach. Jesus fasted 40 days before he started his ministry. There's something about fasting. There's something about fasting. Joel 1 verse 14, it says, Declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly. Some the elders and all who live in the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. There's something powerful not only about individual fasting, there's something powerful about corporate fasting. And there's something unique and awesome about a body of people doing it together. Matthew 6, verse 17 and 18, it says, but when you fast, here's what's interesting about this verse, it doesn't say if you fast or you should fast, it says when you fast, in other words, we're just expecting that a part of your Christian walk is that you have the discipline of fasting at some place, sometime. and the, the rest of that passage talks about two other things, and it, and, it, and it talks about them in the exact same phrasing, it says when you pray and when you give, and then it gives us some directions. And then the third thing it talks about is when you fast. It was expected. It's it's not a required discipline, but it's an expected discipline of a Christian. So it's for everyone. It's not just for the super holy and the almighty people, right? It's for all of us. Matthew 6. Yeah, like I was reading there. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face. That is... Don't make it known to everybody. Don't make a big show out of it. It's basically what they're saying. So that it will not be obvious to men you are fasting, but only your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. That's a great promise. It's a great promise. He says if God sees what you do in secret, he will reward you. Let me just give some very practical things. Um, Well, let me say this first. First. there's, here's my challenge and my encouragement to you. Is um, There's another story in Scripture where the disciples are trying to cast out a demon. You guys remember this story? And they're trying to cast this demon out, and they, and they can't cast it out. They're praying, and they're doing everything that jesus had told them to do they're doing exactly what christ had actually empowered them to do to heal the sick and to cast out demons and they're trying to do this they can't cast the demon out jesus walks up and he casts out the demon and so the disciples are hanging out with jesus later and i don't know if they're sitting around a fire or around a table but they're having a conversation the disciples are looking at jesus and they say what was going on earlier today that we couldn't cast out that demon but then you came and you cast it out you know, you told us, and you gave us the power, and we've done it before, to do this. And all of a sudden, this one demon, we couldn't take care of. What, what was going on? And Jesus, first of all, um, addresses their lack of faith. And he tells them they didn't have enough faith. And then he says this. He says, that type of demon, or that type of stronghold, or that type of habit, whatever you want to call it, can only be cast out or taken care of by prayer and fasting. And up until that point, what that we know of, Jesus, well, we do know it, was the only one that it was in that group that had fasted, and he had done it for 40 days. And here's, here's what I just want to say to you, and I don't want to get all weird, and I don't want to get all kind of way off on a limb, but what I believe that verse and that story is teaching us is this, is that there are some things in your life and in my life that can only be taken care of, maybe when we get serious enough about it to pray and fast. And it could be a stronghold. It could be a secret sin that you've dealt with and tried to get over for years. It could, be, uh, it could be a relationship. Primarily, it's probably things that are personal. And my question for you is this, is are you willing to get serious enough about some of those things that you would be willing to fast and pray and get really serious and I know from my own life, and I know from testimonies of others, I'll just say this personally, fasting, and I'm not this super spirit. those of you that know me really well know I'm not some spiritual giant. I'm just an average dude that is as much of a sinner as anybody else. But spiritual fasting has been the most powerful discipline that I have ever done as a Christian. And it has helped me in areas that I struggled with for years. It has helped me overcome some strongholds that I thought I would never overcome. It doesn't mean everything's perfect. And it doesn't mean that I don't struggle. But it has been the best thing that I have ever done as a Christian when it comes to spiritual disciplines. And, and I will tell you this. It's tough. And I will also tell you this, that I sometimes start fast. That I don't finish. Because the chips look too good and the hamburger looks too good. Okay? And let me, just, let me just say this. If you commit, well, those of you that have done this before know that a lot of times we do the 21-day Daniel fast together. And I put a link in your, uh, at the bottom of your bulletin if you want more information. There's actually a couple things on the back table that will help you find out information about that. But let me say this. If you do the Daniel fast and you just eat whole foods and kind of the stuff that you're supposed to eat in the Daniel fast, don't make it about the food. Don't become so focused on what you can and cannot eat that that's what it's about. Make sure that you're doing it so that you spend time with your Heavenly Father. Okay? If you can't do that or don't want to do that, do one meal a day for 21 days so we do it as a group together. Or just do it for a week. Just do something. My challenge would be this. Do something. Commit to some type of a fast and then take that time that it frees up and pursue God. And target specific things. Target that stronghold that you've struggled with. Target that relationship that you would love God to to change. You know, target that marriage that needs supernatural help. Target that child, whatever it might be, and circle it in prayer and get serious about it and go after it. Here's what I also know about fasting the first part of the year is for me... Fasting the per- first part of the year, it sets the tone for me for the year. It helps, me, um, it helps me get focused. It gives me kind of laser focus on the year. And I spend that 21 days, and I spend more time than I would with God ordinarily. And again, I don't want you to think that I spend hours with my Heavenly Father. I don't. I'm too ADD. My mind can't do that. Or, or, or I should say I'm not disciplined enough. But I spend more time with him, and it helps me get focused. And it brings clarity to my purpose and clarity to what God wants me to do at church, with my family, my personal life, my, uh, how I honor God with my finances, all of those things. It gives me focus. Here's where I want to close. Just a couple things. If you're here today and you want exactly what you had last year, And do exactly what you did. Get that? If you want 2013 spiritually to be just the same, and please hear me right, I'm not talking about that if you do all this, next year is going to be the most wonderful year and you're going to get a higher paying job and all of that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about spiritual growth. But if you want exactly what you had last year, do exactly what you did. And for some of you, maybe that's the reality and that's awesome. But, if you want something that you've never had, then do something that you have never done. Simple. Simple, but very, very tough. If you want something that you've never had, then do something that you have never done. And here's the thing, I just want to encourage you, we will never be perfect in all four of these areas. Never. Because we're humans. For humans and if you commit to some of these and you fall and you fail or you commit to the fast and two days in you eat a meal it's okay just pick up and go over and god has got a massive sense of humor and he's not offended he's not angry he's not legalistic he is incredibly pleased that you're pursuing him and it's okay to fail a lot of times his grace is sufficient his love is is overwhelming, and he's just pleased that he has a child that's willing to pursue him in earnest. Okay, so don't take it too seriously. If in a year you were asked this question again, and I'll probably ask this question at the end of the year, beginning of next year, what kind of a year did you have spiritually? My desire for you as a pastor, and I say this with everything within me, is that all of us could end this year and look back and say, I'm at a better place spiritually. I'm a better place spiritually. And here's my prayer too, is that the the benefits of that, that some of us could look back and say, my marriage is saved. And I can point to because I put God first. This relationship with this person is better and it's different. And I can point to the fact that I put God first. And for some of you, it could even be my finances are better. They're more in order. I might not have more money, but they're more in order because I put God first. Because this verse does say, and I don't know what all that means, it does say, God, will reward you when you put him first. Don't do it for the reward. Do it because you're in love with your Heavenly Father. Let's pray.